from the heart of our nation's capital, here's Family Research Council President Tony Perkins. Well, hello, everyone, and welcome to Washington Watch. Coming up, immersed in controversy, the Loudoun County School Board released a statement yesterday on the transgender sexual assault case that's made national news. And the statement only served to create more controversy by saying they had no knowledge of the incident, echoing what the superintendent, Scott Ziegler, said at a June 22nd board meeting. Do we have assaults in our bathrooms or our locker rooms? Regularly, To my knowledge, we don't have any records of assaults occurring in our restroom. The issue of assaults taking place or transgender students assaulting other students in the restroom, uh, Time magazine in 2016 called that um, a red herring. A red herring? Well, parents in Loudoun County don't think so. They held a press conference today laying out the facts that counter the school board's claim. We'll be joined by one of the parents, uh, Ian Pryor with what the parents are demanding. And yesterday, with his job approval continuing to sink, President Biden announced an agreement with business, labor, and shipping interests to address the stalled supply chain. And he warned businesses that they had better get on board with his plan. Now, if the private sector doesn't step up, we're going to call them out and ask them to act. Because our goal is not only to get through this immediate bottleneck, but to address the long-standing weaknesses in our transportation supply chain that this pandemic has exposed. Congressional Republicans responded today with a letter to the president, to the Biden administration, pointing out that it is the Biden administration and the Democrats' party policies that are keeping the supply chain from getting back on track. We'll get details on the president's plan from Kerry Pickett, senior congressional reporter with The Washington Times, and then we'll be joined by South Carolina Congressman Ralph Norman, who is one of the Republican members who signed today's letter. And finally. Debt is not a big deal until it is. And the day and that it is, and then it's everything. Yeah. And the day that it is, you can't predict. So right now, we're basically, as an economy, surviving because every other economy in the world is still struggling. At some point, if Europe gets its act together, which I know is a stretch, okay, <laughs> If Europe gets its act together and people start investing in the euros rather than in dollars, our debt accelerates even faster and we get skyrocketing inflation. We can't predict that. We're we're, we're basically betting every day that we're going to be less ugly than others. That was Senator James Langford of Oklahoma speaking last week at our Pray Vote Stand Summit about the nation's debt. Well, with a $3.5 trillion record, reconciliation bill uh, before Congress, that debt is only going to get bigger. We'll be talking a little bit later about that with uh, our own Connor Simmelsberger as we uh, take a look at, once again, at what is in the $3.5 trillion reconciliation bill. Today, we'll look at the tab and uh, who's going to pay for it and also what it does to the the nation's debt and to inflation. The website, TonyPerkins.com. Uh, again, if you'd like to see more from last week's Pray Vote Stand Summit, you can go to prayvotestand.org. Well, after meeting with port officials from Los Angeles and Long Beach, as well as union officials and some of the nation's largest carriers of goods, President Biden announced the ports were expanding operations to 24-7 to deal with the backlog of ships setting off the California coast and to get the supply chain working again. President Biden had a warning for companies that didn't get on board. He would call them out. 
What does that mean? We'll join now with more on yesterday's powwow is Carrie Pickett, senior congressional reporter with The Washington Times. Carrie, welcome to Washington Watch. Thanks for having me, Tony. All right. So what uh, what did we find out from the president's announcement yesterday? What is his plan to get the supply chain back on track? Well, one of the things that he uh, did was he he had the uh, California ports, particularly he is going to have them run at a 24 hour, seven day a week uh, expansion. And what that means is previously those ports, which are union operated, they, the workers would, would only uh, work a certain number of hours a, a day and, and only a certain days, a number of days a week, which ended up uh, ha- having the workers just sort of uh, regulate their uh, hours. And then you'd have the uh, trucks who would be sort of waiting around saying, hey, when are these guys going to start loading us up here? Uh, the problem, though, was that that was something that a lot of Biden's critics said, said that he should have done that a long time ago. Uh, so that is a good thing. Uh, another uh, thing, too, that he that we're looking to do is is to try to uh, get more uh, drivers to these trucks hired. Well, that is a situation that the trucking industry has been trying to do for over 40 years now. <laughs> I mean, there has been a driver shortage uh, in the trucking industry for a very long time. Uh, one of the uh, ways that, they are, that they've been trying to cure that is to try and lower the age of interstate truckers. Now, mind you, uh, 18-year-olds, and, and as of now, interstate uh, drivers have to be about 21 years old. They're trying to lower that to 18 years old. Um, Truckers can be 18 years old driving just within the state, but but they cannot drive out of state. So they're trying to uh, lower that to 18 years old, and uh, that is something that is within the infrastructure bill. But, of course, we both know and the audience knows that that infrastructure bill is still being debated in Congress right now. So we'll see where where that goes as of now. Now, Biden is uh, blaming uh, businesses and, and he's saying, well, things are being bottlenecked there. Uh, that is a very tough way to sort of uh, get businesses to uh, step up because at the same time, people are saying that these vaccine mandates uh, are, are forcing businesses to lay off workers. So they have less workers to also uh, stock up the shelves and also ship those uh, these these are these are goods and and a, and a supplies all over the country. That also includes, by the way, drivers. And so many of those drivers said, "Look, I'm not going to take the vaccine, and if I can't take the vaccine, then go ahead and fire me." So that's been a big problem, and that's been been a put on to back the uh, on on a back to the Biden administration. So it's it's been kind of going in a circle a bit. But then, of course, you've had Governor DeSantis. You've also had the governor of Louisiana, who, who have sort of, quote-unquote, stepped up and have offered their ports. Whether or not that's going to be used, that's up in the air. Mm. Uh, one final question for you, uh, Carrie. What, what's been the response from the prospects of 24-7 operation at these ports and shipping? Is that creating some optimism that we might get uh, things moving again? Uh, a little bit. I mean, uh, it's, we're, we're playing a, a lot of catch-up, Tony. Uh, I mean, uh, sure, it's, 
it's good that the uh, ports are going to be at at a 24-7 clock right now, but but still, it's simply doing a lot of catch-up that, that a lot of people simply are saying that should have been done months ago. So yeah. it's an optimism, yeah, but still, it's, it's still a lot of catch-up right now. All right. Carrie uh, Pickett, thanks so much for uh, joining us today on Washington Watch. Sure thing. That was Carrie Pickett, senior congressional reporter with Washington Times. Well, Republicans uh, in the uh, the House, the House uh, Oversight Committee, sent a letter to the president's uh, port czar, uh, basically uh, asking a series of questions, but also pointing out that a lot of the problem goes back to something Carrie just said, some of the policies from this administration. Joining me now to talk more about this, Congressman Ralph Norman, a member of the House Oversight Committee from South Carolina. He signed the letter that went to the administration today. Congressman, welcome back to the program. Well, Tony, glad to be with you. So in your letter that you sent to uh, to the Biden administration, you point out that uh, in large part, it's the policies that both the Biden administration are pursuing and that their party has pursued that is creating this problem. Oh, absolutely, Tony. I mean, and I have no, uh, I have no hope that the the John Porcaro would get back with us on anything. It'll just be words. But you can't continue to tax people. Uh, this mandate, this people are seeing through this mandate for the coronavirus. Uh, you know, the gas prices. Everything is just kind of collapsing. Uh, on top of an administration that doesn't have a clue of, on what to do. I mean, look at what the economy's doing. Prices are up at every level. Somebody said it's up close to 6%. We're going to be seeing 5 $6 gas. People are still not working. Um, and last count, there were 250,000 containers stacked up. You're going to start to see that on the shelves. Well, we already have. See it on the shelves. And um, when he says he doesn't, you know, he will blame other people, probably the Trump administration, but we just want uh, our letter, as so many have never been answered, we just want him to try to justify something and get back to us, which I doubt we'll have. So part of the uh, one of the issues that you raise in the letter is the fact that uh, the Democratic um, uh, congressional majority has been paying people to stay at home, which has created the shortage of workers. A large part of this problem is a shortage of warehouse workers and truck drivers. Uh, we are just talking about there's been a long time uh, shortage of truck drivers. So you've got that issue, but then you layer on top of that is as we're starting to get back moving this ma- vaccine mandate, which is going to drive people from the workforce. I've never seen people, and it's not just my 5th District, I've never seen people as upset about it from the military to the hospitals to nurses to just the everyday worker. What The the disconnect, Tony, if this is so important, why are we letting 1.5 million people come across the border with no thought of uh, not even... Uh, testing them for a vaccine, or testing to see if they got COVID and whatever else. I mean, one doctor told us at a Freedom Caucus meeting that uh, tuber- there's a strain of tuberculosis that uh, if it gets in this country, we- we're going to have more problems than we have had with COVID or one of the issues that we're going to have. But it's, it's, it's a hypocrisy and it's a, I, I now, when you look at what's happening with the military and uh, as you mentioned, the truck and this is planned. Uh, there is a evil 
something going on with this country that we've got to fight back. We've got to be vocal. Being quiet is not going to be uh, not going to not going to get it. And that's why we continue to write letters. And I would ask, you know, for the for, for people to get involved with it because. It's one thing after another, and the economy, the economy, if it keeps going like it's going, <clears throat> it's, uh, you know, the growth is already, what, 1.2% of GDP? Under Trump, it was uh, 3 and 4. And this just compounds a problem with, with the trucking, right. I mean, with the uh, containers. Uh, Congressman, always great to talk with you. Thanks so much for uh, joining us. My pleasure. Thank you, Tony. All right. Congressman Ralph Norman of South Carolina. Uh, the policies have consequences. And when we adopt policies, I mean, this, this is pretty simple. Sometimes you have the, you know, have this unintended consequences, which you can't see always what's going to happen down the line. But when you look at the fact that we're paying people to stay at home and we, you know, we, we don't, we have a shortage of labor, then we're going to put on top of it, this mandate that's going to drive people from the workforce it's only going to further disrupt the supply chain. That that doesn't take a lot of brain power to figure that one out. All right, coming up next, we're going to be joined by Congressman Dan Bishop of North Carolina. He's a member of the House Judiciary Committee that uh, wrote a letter to the Attorney General wanting questions about their efforts to intimidate, try to intimidate parents getting involved in local school boards. But new twist on this, Attorney General Merrick Garland could have violated federal ethics code in jumping into this issue in what's happening in schools. We'll talk more about it with Congressman Dan Bishop on the other side of the break. Don't go away. With tech censorship on the rise, we've increasingly seen the cancellation of conservatives and Christians. At Family Research Council, we want to be proactive about making sure big tech doesn't completely silence us. We want to stay connected with you, and so we've created a tech subscription platform. That way, if we are canceled, you can still find updates on faith, family, and freedom. You can get FRC's content straight to your phone by signing up for our text alerts. Just text STAND to 67742. Again, text STAND to 67742. And FRC will send you special alerts on the issues of the day. By subscribing, you'll also be one of the first to know about our upcoming events and programs. All of this info is yours with just a simple text. We want you to always have access to the content that will help you stand for what's right and keep you connected with like-minded community. Just text STAND to 67742 and be the most informed person you know. Join us for FRC and FRC Action's inaugural Pray Vote Stand Summit. In light of the growing opposition our culture has expressed against biblical principles and the truth of God's Word, we've launched Pray Vote Stand Summit to equip and encourage Christians to respond to this opposition from a biblical worldview. We will address issues such as protecting the unborn, the importance of the nuclear family, domestic and international religious liberty, developments in our nation's education system, and more. We see the need for the restoration of a biblical foundation in our nation and the necessity to equip Christians to effectively engage the culture and understand current events through a biblical lens. Join us at Cornerstone Chapel in Leesburg, Virginia from October 6th through the 8th for the Pray Vote Stand Summit. Register online at prayvotestand.org slash summit or by calling 877-372-2888. 
1-800-273-8108. More than ever before, Christians need to be grounded in the truth of God's Word and be prepared to articulate them in a winsome manner. That is why Family Research Council has launched the Center for Biblical Worldview. By applying the Bible and the historical teachings of the church to a wide range of relevant issues, including voting, religious liberty, abortion, marriage, and sexuality, the experts at the center have provided resources to help Christians live by a biblical worldview. To understand why scripture must be authoritative and to equip believers to advance and defend the faith in the workplace, in schools, in their communities, and in the public square. Access free resources like the Biblical Worldview series at frc.org worldview. To get highlights of the latest work of the Worldview Fellows, including their latest blogs, op-eds, interviews, and publications, sign up at frc.org subscriptions. Welcome back to Washington Watch. I'm your host, Tony Perkins. The website is TonyPerkins.com. All right, yesterday, House Judiciary Committee, the Republicans on the committee, sent a letter to the U.S. Attorney General, Merrick Garland, requesting an ethics inquiry and a public report concerning his memo to the FBI and the U.S. attorneys on the perceived, quote, threats against school administrators, board members, teachers, and staff. There are questions now about whether or not the attorney general violated ethic, ethical guidelines, uh, federal guidelines, by jumping into this issue. Joining me now is uh, one of the members of the House Judiciary Committee who signed the letter. He serves at, on the, uh, the committee of the Judiciary Committee as well as the Committee on Homeland Security. He represents the 9th Congressional District of North Carolina, Congressman Dan Bishop. Uh, Dan, welcome back to the program. Thank you, Tony. Glad to be with you. All right. Now, this is obviously an issue that's gotten a lot of attention uh, because the attorney general jumping into what should clearly be a issue of local concern. There's a couple of points that you and the other members bring out in this letter. One is that this is a, an effort to stifle First Amendment protected political speech. Do you think that's what's behind this, that this is designed to silence these pa- parents who are raising uh, alarm over what's happening in public schools? Uh, Tony, I'd say that I can't think of what else it's for. Uh, you know, the, the letter you're describing, uh, Mike Johnson, Louisiana led a number of Judiciary Committee Republicans on raising specifically the issue of conflict of interest. But earlier, uh, I uh, dashed off a letter and got about 30, got 30 members of Congress to join raising more generally the question about what's going on here, because the attorney general in his memorandum that came out three business days after a letter from the National Association of School Boards, um, you know, so in, in, in demanding a federal federal intervention. And this memorandum describes a spike in, in threats, intimidation. I forget the third term he used, but the question we asked in the letter that, that I led is, what is the basis for this? He, his memorandum is one page, doesn't uh, give any details about what he says is, is the spike in threats or the rise in criminality or criminal conduct. I don't know what he's talking about. What I've seen is moms and dads nationwide at school board meetings raising heck, Tony, 
they're, they're angry and there've been some people been a little bit over the, the uh, over the beyond the pale and have been there've been a handful of trespassing arrests for people who were disorderly uh, there'd been a total of three news reports I could find after some extensive research where somebody struck somebody else, no injuries, um, and threats. Every threat that I've seen referenced in a news article is a threat of political retaliation or a threat to maybe come to somebody's house and protest, but there have been no threats of violence. So for the attorney general to direct the FBI to conduct meetings in every judicial district in the country, under the coordination of the United States attorneys with various, you know, whatever leaders they pick, is an extraordinary attack on First Amendment activity. I can't find any other basis for it. We've asked the Attorney General to specify, and he better. Yeah, I, I would, uh, I would agree with you, Congressman Bishop. Uh, the uh, the overreach is is stunning here, and I think it is designed to intimidate and to silence uh, parents who are concerned about what's happening in classrooms across this country. Now, I've watched a lot, a lot of the footage of live uh, coverage of some of these school boards that have been a little more contentious. And and I don't I want to be very careful here because I don't want to paint every school board member with a broad brush because I'm grateful, in fact, encouraging parents to run for school boards. But I've seen a lot of arrogance. I've seen a lot of arrogance on behalf of these school boards, basically acting as if toward the parents, what are you doing here? Uh, you know, this is our business. We know what to do. We're the professionals. And this only adds to that when you have the Attorney General of the United States launching a federal task force in part, as you said, pointing to this letter from the National School Boards Association, calling for them to use the Patriot Act. Uh, which is designed to go after terrorists. This is, it's outrageous. But I, want, I don't want to run out of time before we get to this other point that is raised in this letter that you made reference to that uh, was led by uh, Mike Johnson. And that is that the Attorney General apparently has family that has a financial interest in what is happening in particular, uh, well, in, in several of these schools across the country as it pertains to critical race theory curriculum and anti-racism materials. He's a co-founder of uh, Panorama Education Incorporated. This is problematic. Oh, absolutely. And uh, Mike Johnson is, uh, has uh, studied it to its depth. <clears throat> I was pleased to join his letter, but it's a serious thing when you're stepping forward, and particularly with something that's sweeping and out of place. Uh, to have a financial interest underlying it. And, and I've looked at a little bit of the stuff that they that they sell. They peddle critical race theory junk. It is pernicious. It is pure racism. That is, a, we've talked about that before, Tony, but that's what this guy, this son-in-law of Merrick Garland's does. And if they didn't look into that and to, and figure out that there's a personal interest connected to his family that would be affected, that stands to be affected by uh, these protests that they're trying to quell, amazingly, uh, then then I, the attorney general is going to have uh, a problem. You know, this is amazing to me that, uh, you know, they deny that even critical race theory is being uh, pushed into our schools. It's not in the curriculum. And, and here the attorney general is becoming the uh, re- really the enforcer in many ways uh, for his son-in-law going out and telling people they sh- they cannot expose this, they better not expose it. Uh, we're going to launch a task force to uh, to scare parents away from the school boards that have pulled back the curtain 
on what's actually happening in the classroom. This is well typical leftist politics, in my view, corrupt to the core. I think that's true, Tony, but it, it really, it, it, I think, sets a new low. Yeah, this is very troubling. And uh, you, you, you're talking about, it's not really a task force, it's just a task force, it's a dragnet, a nationwide dragnet, and it's designed to chill First Amendment activity by drawing this association. The, the school board's association used the term some form of domestic terrorism. That's the kind of thing you see in communist China, Tony. It is. Uh, Congressman Bishop, we're out of time. As always, great to talk with you. Thanks so much for joining us today. You bet. Folks, stick with us. We're going to come back on the other side of the break with more Washington Watch. Go away. Do you want to be able to stay up to date on conservative news? Are you looking for Christian resources to help you stay politically engaged? Then download Family Research Council's Stand Firm app. With all of our content available at your fingertips, you will conveniently be able to stay up to date throughout your busy day. The Stand Firm app will give you access to a variety of resources, such as our most recent episodes of Washington Watch with Tony Perkins, tweets, and other social media posts, and our latest blogs, updates, and publications. Additionally, you will have the opportunity to take action and make your voice heard by contacting your elected officials on the issues that most concern you. Visit the App Store on your smartphone or mobile device and search Stand Firm to download Family Research Council's official Stand Firm app. Have you ever tried to read the Bible daily? but struggled to get in a groove? It can be hard, especially if you don't know where to start or how to understand and apply what you've read. Or maybe it's just that doing it alone has made it too easy to give up. Well, let me encourage you. You don't have to do this daily discipline alone. You can join Family Research Council's Stand on the Word two-year Bible reading plan. God's Word is necessary in our lives, so much so that Christ said we are to live on every word that comes from the mouth of God. He calls it our daily bread, because we need it daily to sustain us and nourish us spiritually, just like food does physically. That is why we want to read the Bible daily, and we'd love for you to join us so we can stay grounded in God's truth and grow closer to God together. Our hope is that this plan will help you be transformed by God's Word, by reading and hearing it daily. Sign up to get the daily passages and questions today by visiting frc.org Bible. That's frc.org Bible. This is Washington Watch. I'm Tony Perkins, your host. The website, TonyPerkins.com. All right, Loudoun County, we've been talking about a lot, but it has been the epicenter of the battle over what has happened in America's classroom. I mean, really, the nation's watching. Now, that's why we had our Pray Vote Stand Summit there in Leesburg, Virginia, in Loudoun County. Well, yesterday, the school board released a statement on the transgender assault case that has made nat- national news. Now, this assault was a byproduct of their gender-neutral bathroom policy, um, and the statement only served to create more controversy by saying they had no knowledge of the incident when they adopted the bathroom policy. Now, this is uh, formally adopted the policy. 
that's what the superintendent, Scott Ziegler, had to say at a June 22nd board meeting. Well, parents in Loudoun County, as I mentioned, held a press conference today laying out the facts that counter what the school board claimed. Joining me now to talk about uh, this is the executive director of the Fight for Schools and a former deputy director of public affairs at the U.S. Department of Justice, Ian Pryor. Ian, welcome uh, to Washington Watch. Thanks for having me. All right. Well, thanks for being a part of last week's uh, Prevote Stand Summit. We talked about this uh, last week. All right. Today, you led a press conference of parents there uh, in Loudoun County. What was your message? Well, you know, we were really trying to go out there and lay out the facts. You know, there's we parents have been doubted for, for months and really even two years as to what we've been trying to show. And, you know, the mainstream media hasn't listened the, the school board hasn't listened, uh, but we went out there with facts, and, and our message was really three things. One, the, the superintendent clearly knew about this situation when he said that he didn't know at a school board meeting. Uh, because of that— now, let, let me just stop right there. So this, there was a sexual assault in a bathroom at the school with a, with a girl assaulted by a male wearing a skirt in the bathroom at the school. That was in May— Yes. He was asked about it at a at a school board meeting in June, nearly a month later, and he said he had no knowledge. Is that right? Yes. He said he, he he had no knowledge of any records of sexual assaults in bathrooms. Now, keep in mind that this was a meeting where the transgender bathroom policy was first up for debate and even possible passage. So, you know, I don't think you have to extrapolate too much to to see that they were trying to make sure that this policy's passage was not going to get derailed. So he made a statement that was false. Now, he also said, well, LCPS said in their statement that, you know, the, the school system was working with the sheriff's investigation after May 28th. Well, if they were working with the sheriff's office, well, then clearly there were records and clearly the superintendent would have been aware of it. So for him to say that was just flat out false. And and the reason, as you pointed out, would that would have derailed the bathroom policy that had drawn the opposition at that school board meeting had they admitted it had already led to a sexual assault, a rape. That's that's correct. And you know, again, this this school board is hyper politicized. But then the second piece of this that's very important is that they allowed this alleged assailant to go back into school at a different school in September where a second individual was allegedly assaulted by the same alleged assailant. And now in, in a similar me, manner, not in a similar manner. It was, you know, I believe it was a, a groping incident, according to um, the, the reports that we've seen in the sheriff's uh, press release. Uh, but the fact is he was put back in the school. It's not clear whether he was disciplined, but, you know, the school statement said, yeah, the sheriff's office asked us to hold off on investigating ourselves pursuant to Title IX until the sheriff had completed its investigation. Well, that investigation was completed on July 8th. So think about this. The sheriff's office completed an investigation in about five weeks. They're, now, they have to deal with burden of proof, right, Re beyond a reasonable doubt. Right. Once that investigation was done, then it's up to the school to do an investigation under Title IX, which has a lot, much less lesser standard preponderance of the evidence. We don't know whether they conducted that investigation or not, but what seems clear is that there was no significant discipline that would have took this alleged assailant out of the school system where students would have been protected and this second assault, alleged assault would not have occurred. 
So with the superintendent, Scott Ziegler, either he uh, is lying or he is uninformed as to what's happening within the school district. I mean, there's, it can only be one of two things. Yeah, that's absolutely correct. And it, under either circumstances, he should not be working there anymore. And as far as whether the school board members knew or not, look, it's not clear. But again, you go back to the statement from the school system. They said that the school board did not have de the specific details of the incident until they were reported this week. Look at that phrasing. They did not have the specific details until this week. If they didn't have any knowledge, that statement would have unequivocally said that they had no knowledge whatsoever. But even if we're assuming that they had no knowledge, if we give them the benefit of the doubt and the superintendent did not tell them, why is he still working there? They work for yeah. him. They work for us. Or he works for them. They work for us. And, and, and especially when we're talking about dealing with a policy that led to this, that has been so controversial in the community. I mean, th there is no excuse for this. So very quickly, Ian, what, what, uh, what's next? Well, today we, we held a press conference where we called for Superintendent Ziegler to be fired. We also asked any school that any school board member that was aware of this, yet still pushed 8040 through and voted for it should resign. The remainder of the school board needs to commission an independent investigation to go in there, produce a report on the failures of the system here and any other failures that have happened over the past several years that we don't know about. And finally, we have asked our friend Attorney General Merrick Garland to do a Title IX investigation from the Department of Justice. All right. Well, we'll be watching this uh, very closely. Ian Pryor, thanks so much for joining us today. Thanks for having me. All right. And folks, you need to be looking at uh, what's happening in your schools. Don't think this is isolated to Loudoun County. This kind of stuff is happening across America as they're adopting these policies. All right. Stick with us. We're going to take a look at the $3.5 trillion reconciliation bill next. Are you a university student? Do you know a university student? specifically one who wants to grow as a Christian leader to influence public policy and culture? Look no further. Family Research Council has a life-changing 12 to 15 week internship program that prepares and equips students to take the next step in their professional journey. With a speaker series focusing on careers and callings, lectures from prominent conservative leaders, and weekly biblical worldview trainings, students will grow in personal and professional development. Interns will have the opportunity to work in policy, communications, event planning, and more. They will gain real-world experience working directly with our experts who will guide them in pursuing careers of influence so that they can make a difference wherever God calls them. This paid internship offers fully funded housing in the heart of downtown D.C., giving interns the chance to experience our nation's capital. Visit frc.org internships to apply. Is real biblical masculinity lost forever? In this culture of gender confusion, there are too few examples of godly manhood. So where can men, husbands, and fathers find a model of godly manhood, leadership, and strength in this culture? Try our Stand Courageous Men's Ministry. We seek to help men develop a strong biblical character, cultivate positive habits, build and rebuild relationships, and make commitments that will move men closer to God's good purpose and design. Men who will stand courageous. We invite you to join us at a Stand Courageous Men's Conference to discuss critical aspects of masculinity. These conferences are led by men who struggle with the same issues you do and will invest in unpacking our role as a defender, provider, instructor, and battle buddy 
so that we can have a generational influence as a chaplain inside and outside the home. Learn more and find a Stand Courageous event near you at StandCourageous.com. With tech censorship on the rise, we've increasingly seen the cancellation of conservatives and Christians. At Family Research Council, we want to be proactive about making sure big tech doesn't completely silence us. We want to stay connected with you, and so we've created a tech subscription platform. That way, if we are canceled, you can still find updates on faith, family, and freedom. You can get FRC's content straight to your phone by signing up for our text alerts. Just text STAND to 67742. Again, text STAND to 67742. And FRC will send you special alerts on the issues of the day. By subscribing, you'll also be one of the first to know about our upcoming events and programs. All of this info is yours with just a simple text. We want you to always have access to the content that will help you stand for what's right and keep you connected with like-minded community. Just text STAND to 67742 and be the most informed person you know. Welcome back to Washington Watch. I'm your host, Tony Perkins. So good to have you uh, with us. All right, over the last couple of days, we've been uh, diving into the uh, troubling proposals that are buried in the nearly uh, 2,500 pages. It's, to be exact, 2,465 pages that make up the uh, Democrats' $3.5 trillion reconciliation bill. Now, as we've made clear, this is on top of everything else. This isn't the normal budget. This is on top of all of that. That's on, this is on top of the $1.5 trillion infrastructure bill. Uh, this is basically sh- socialist spending. And so what we've been doing is we've been looking into it to see how it's going to impact your family, how it's going to impact the issue of the sanctity of human life. And if you've missed any of these last couple of days, you can go back and uh, watch them at TonyPerkins.com. Now, on Tuesday, we examined the anti-life aspects of the bill. Yesterday, we looked at the anti-family aspects. And today, we're going to look at the economic impact because, well, The Biden administration has repeatedly said, repeatedly, the president himself and others have said that this will cost zero, although more recently they have been trying to clarify that, well, it's not quite zero for everybody. Here's what the White House press secretary said. This is not going to cost the American public a dollar. This is going to, we're going to pay for this by asking corporations the highest income, so people under $400,000, I should say corporations highest income to cover the cost of these necessary investments so just to not dumb it down then does the plan cost nothing or is the plan free the plan costs nothing for the american people who make less than four hundred thousand dollars for the american people who make less than four hundred thousand dollars is that true now they've they've been changing their tune first it costs nothing it paid for itself somehow we were just going to pick 3.5 trillion dollars off of trees um, changing the tune, but is there more to this? With me now to uh, to discuss this, Connor Simmelsberger. He's the Director of Federal Affairs here at the Family Research Council. Uh, Connor, welcome back to the program. Great to be back again, Tony. All right, let's start off with right where uh, Jen Psaki took us, that this is not going to cost people who make under $400,000 a year a cent. Not a dollar, not going to cost them a bit. Is that true? 
Not at all. It's it's quite comical to watch uh, the 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 fact checking that needs done on the, the press reports of late out of the White House. But none of the statements Jen Psaki just said were true. Two points: uh, the four hundred thousand or less um, that was uh, discredited by not just uh, the the Joint Committee on Taxation, which is a bipartisan group, but even some left wing progressive tax organizations have said that's just frankly false. Actually, if you make over thirty thousand dollars a year, your taxes are going to increase and. Those that are going to see a major increase are those making between $75,000 and $100,000 a year, right in that middle class. So, again, I don't know how anyone can take those comments seriously that this is going to cost nothing when they don't even have the tax revenue uh, enough to even pay for the $3.5 trillion, let alone to only make it apply to corporations and high-income earners. All right, so let's talk a few facts here. This would be the largest tax increase um, in more than 50 years. Is that correct? That is correct, Tony. And um, this would be, this would require more than $200 trillion in higher taxes to pay for the $3.5 trillion in spending. And, and that's, that's on the low side. Some are saying it's going to go up as high as 4.3. Now, you mentioned this. The Joint Tax Committee has revealed this bill would increase taxes on anyone making $30,000 or more. And by 2027, families earning between $75,000 and $100,000 would see their taxes go up by a total of $3 billion. So th- th- there's no escaping this. But Are corporations really going to pay this or are they going to pass it off to the consumer? Yeah, see, when you have a 2,500-page bill, um, you know, that's where these things get hidden. They'll, They'll make it out to seem that it's just the wealthy Wall Street elites. Those coastal elites that make up the Democratic Party, those are the ones that are going to be taxed. And you at home, you American people, aren't going to see your taxes increase a cent. Rather, you're going to get all these goodies and benefits we hand you. But that's just frankly false. You know, uh, a large portion of this will go to the businesses, small and large businesses alike. Um, But again, if you work for a business, if you buy anything made, manufactured, sold by a business, that's going to impact you and your family. The costs are just going to keep rising. So we should really be looking at your your purchasing power, your buying power. How how is the bottom line of your family going to be impacted? Because I mean, we have established that there are those that are making very clear that you're going to have to pay taxes. Uh, now, three quarters of this, to be to be fair, are targeted at corporations and small businesses. But as you pointed out, that's going to be passed on in various forms: higher uh, prices. Uh, In fact, if you work for a small business and they have to pay higher taxes, that's money they can't give in raises. Uh, It's money they can't give in bonuses. It's it's additional positions they can't hire because they're giving this money to the government. But let's talk about two other aspects that are uh, going to be impacted by this. I'm going to talk about inflation, and then I want to talk about the deficit and how that impacts people. Let's talk about inflation where, all right, we've already seen a, a tremendous infusion of money into our economy through the, the COVID relief bills. We're already seeing uh, the highest prices, uh, you know, price index increases in, in uh, about 30 years, I think. And What's this going to do with another $3.5 trillion? And that's not to mention the $1.5 in infrastructure that's still out there. What's that going to do to inflation? 
it's only going to keep rising. You know, just this week, I feel like I've seen gas prices go up 10, 15 cents every day just driving in here to D.C. every day. Uh, and that's only going to, going to expand. You talk about lumber costs, transportation costs, all of that's already being impacted by inflation. All of us American families are feeling that already. You throw another $3.5 trillion at this economy for these socialist spending packages, that inflation is only going to increase. Now, Saki and the like, they're going to keep trying to downplay this, that, oh, it's just a temporary thing, this inflation, it's because of the COVID spending. But I don't know how anybody, even the most progressive of economists, would say throwing even more spending at this is going to somehow lower inflation. Rather, the opposite would be true. And all of us uh, just trying to, you know, buy lumber to build a shed in your backyard, you know, pay for gas, maybe buy a used car because yours, yours, you know, your engine went. Uh, you're going to be the ones feeling this even more so if this package were to pass. So is, is that going to impact the middle class? Most definitely more so than the, than the higher income earners. They can, they can adjust uh, their incomes if you have flexible incomes or lots of savings. If you're living paycheck to paycheck, working hourly or shift work, those working class Americans, you're going to be feeling this the most. I mean, I think we've seen already a, uh, almost a 40 percent increase in fuel cost uh, over year over year. Uh, so there is a significant rise in prices. Let's talk for a moment of the, the deficit and, and uh, why we should be concerned about that. This was actually a discussion we had at the uh, Prevote Stand Summit um, last week. And I actually have a, a clip here I want to play from my conversation I had on this with uh, Senator Langford and uh, Senator Marshall. We were discussing the debt. Uh, play clip number six. Debt is not a big deal until it is. And the day and that it is, late. and then it's everything. Yeah. And the day that it is, you can't predict. So right now, we're basically, as an economy, surviving because every other economy in the world is still struggling. At some point, if Europe gets its act together, which I know is a stretch, okay? <laughs> if Europe gets its act together and people start investing in the euros rather than in dollars, our debt accelerates even faster and we get skyrocketing inflation. We can't predict that. We're, we're, we're basically betting every day that we're going to be less ugly than others. And we were discussing the increase of the national debt. In fact, I was uh, preparing for something that went back 40 years ago to the beginning of the Reagan administration. And our national debt was uh, just under a trillion dollars, about $995 billion. Today, it stands at almost $29 trillion in 40 years. And we, it took us from, as Senator Langford pointed out in our discussion last week, it took us from George Washington to George Bush to get to that $1 trillion mark. Now we are at $28 trillion. And the total spending that we've seen that's been going toward the debt because it's deficit spending, uh, when you add the COVID relief packages of the last 18 months with the, uh, the $1.5 trillion in infrastructure and in this bill, we're looking at over $9 trillion in deficit spending that's going straight to the debt. Yeah, Tony, it's outstanding, those numbers, when you look at them. 
Um, and, you know, you look at the COVID packages, right? An emergency situation, you know, that could justify some emergency spending outside of that annual appropriations. But the five, past five COVID packages, for Biden to come into office, pass another COVID package, then to talk about all these the, these new spending packages, again, $9 trillion new dollars in, in deficit spending, uh, it, it's, it's going to come back to bite us. And again, the Republicans aren't uh, innocent in all this. You know, a lot of this went up under uh, the Trump administration as well. But at the same time, this is the time to reel back the spending, uh, reel back that spending, because they think if we just tax more, we can spend more. Uh, but latest reports have showed that, that uh, the spending is really what's increasing the deficit, not, not the lack of taxes. Yeah, let's talk about that for just a moment, because there is uh, this idea, well, government is not getting enough money. It's gotten record number, uh, a record number of uh, a record uh, intake. I mean, last year, um, the government collected uh, $4.047 trillion in revenue, with corporate tax collections jumping 75% as the economy reopened. I mean, when you look at the growth of revenue going into the government, um, we've seen record levels of that uh, tax revenue grow. So this isn't an issue of not enough money coming in. It's too much money going out in the spending. And this is purely what this $3.5 trillion reconciliation bill is. It's just more spending. And as we've pointed out, a lot of this is not one-time spending. Yeah, Tony, that really jumps off the page there. Uh, that we're actually bringing in more uh, tax revenue even after the 2017 tax cuts. You know, they expected, okay, we're going to cut taxes, a good thing, but we might bring in less revenue. We actually brought in more. They they outmet the expectations that these, you know, uh, bipartisan uh, tax groups have expected. So uh, the taxes are coming in more than they even expected. It's the too much spending going out. And like you said, uh, the spending isn't just a one-off, here's, a, you know, a program to start up for an emergency use. This is stuff we're talking five-year Years out, 10 years out. And, and as we talked this week, uh, these temporary programs uh, that get funding for five or so years, they're never temporary. Those things get locked in and we have to pay the, the, that, that price uh, for decades to come. So let's talk uh, in this bill as well, talk about taxes, is a, a lump sum of $79 billion going to the IRS so that they can collect more tax revenue. I mean, what is the IRS going to do with 79 billion additional dollars? Just lead to more waste, fraud, abuse, and even more power to target conservative organizations like ourselves uh, to go after for tax fraud. I think that that report that they brought in more revenue this year than expected totally discredits the point that the IRS needs more money. Even with the, the waste and fraud they're already undergoing, they brought in, they, they reeled in those corporations. They brought in the tax revenue, even during COVID when oversight was lacking. So it can only lead to bad things when you, you send a slush fund to the IRS to just politicize uh, yet another federal agency. Let's uh, shift gears for, uh, for just a minute before we uh, run out of time here. When we look at the the cost of this, the um, additional taxes that are going to be taken. And, you know, again, 75 percent of this, three quarters of it goes toward corporations, uh, major corporations, but also small businesses get caught up in this. I, I'll have to say I don't have much sympathy for the major corporations because in large part they are responsible for fueling the leftist 
uh, in this country. They've lined up with the left's radical social policies. They've been facilitating them. And now, quite frankly, they're getting what they deserve, in my view. I'm so glad you brought this up, Tony. I think it's a point that doesn't get brought up enough. Uh, you know, between Black Lives Matter, LGBT pride flags in June, uh, to President Joe Biden calling up the Major League Baseball to move their all-star game. Uh, these are the corporations that don't have our interests at heart. And yet here they are, probably the ones that are helped push the Biden administration over the finish line in 2020 and elect a Democrat majority in the Congress. Now they're, they're wagging their tails. They're walking home with their, their tail between their legs because now they realize they're going to try to tax these same corporations to pay for all this stuff that apparently the corporations love, uh, things like abortion funding and such, you name it. Um, yeah, I don't think we should have any sympathy and just goes to show uh, that they're going to hopefully sleep in the bed that they make, that they could be the ones uh, taking a big brunt of the taxes here. Uh, and try to come crambling back to the, the pro-life conservative Republicans, and we'll, we'll see what happens politically with all of that. And, of course, many of these major corporations that were kind of coaxed to uh, come back to the United States in terms of their uh, manufacturing facilities and moving away from countries like China that uses uh, slave or, or um, unpaid labor or not fairly paid labor— uh, like using the Uyghurs to, um, as religious uh, minorities in China to produce some of their products. I mean, this is going to drive many of these corporations to go back overseas into uh, these tyrannical countries. Yeah, Tony, uh, the, the corporate tax rate lowering was one of the best things the Trump administration did from this standpoint that it kept manufacturing and businesses here in the U.S. Coming from mm -hmm. uh, western Pennsylvania where steel mills and coal mines are prevalent, having manufacturing businesses have been huge for our economy. And I've seen that firsthand in, in the communities I grew up in having American businesses here. Rather, it's going to force right, them overseas. Connor, we're, we're out of time. Sorry about that. We're going to have to leave it there, but we'll finish this. We'll continue this conversation as we look at this reconciliation bill. Connor, thanks so much for joining us, folks. Sorry, ran out of time there. If you missed anything, go back to TonyPerkins.com. Until next time, I leave you with the encouraging words the Apostle Paul found in Ephesians 6, where he says you've done everything you can do. When you've prayed, prepared, and taken your stand, by all means, stand back. Washington Watch with Tony Perkins is brought to you by Family Research Council and is entirely listener supported. Portions of the show discussing candidates are brought to you by Family Research Council Action. For more information on anything you've heard today or to find out how you can partner with us in our ongoing efforts to promote faith, family and freedom, visit TonyPerkins.com. Also, to leave a comment about Washington Watch, call our watch line at 1-866-372-7234. That's 1-866-372-7234.